So two weeks ago, we started with the definition of the word disciple. And if you are taking notes or whatever, I said, hey, write this down. We're calling a disciple is a growing worshiper, learner, and follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? And we always want to emphasize that word growing. That's what we're calling a disciple, a growing worshiper, learner, and follower of Jesus. And we want to be about making disciples. Okay? Uh, the, the last command of Jesus on earth, he says, go. He says, all glory on earth to be given to me. Therefore, go and make, what's the word? Disciples of all nations, okay? And so that's our call. That's what we want to be about. He does not say go and make church attenders. Right. He, he doesn't say go and make, uh, he doesn't say go and make followers of a religious leader. He doesn't say that. He says make disciples of Jesus. And so we want to be about that, you know? And so we, we don't want to just be about this surface level, hey, are you attending church? Um, hey, do you own a Bible? And no, like we want to push one another into growing as a worshiper, learner, and follower of Jesus. And that's what uh, a disciple is, is we want to be growing in our relationship. You know, it's like I got married uh, 14 years ago. Is that right? Okay, good. You look nervous. 14 years ago. And um, I, I have been married for 14 years, right? I've never not been married. But my marriage has grown. Are you with me on that? And, and our relationship now is not what it was 10 years ago. It's not what it was 14 years ago. And that's by design. That's the plan. Right? And my, our goal is, is that in 10 years, our marriage will look even better. Right? That we're still going to be married, but that our marriage grows in intimacy and grows in purpose and grows in vision. It's the same thing with being a disciple of Jesus is that as we go on is that we recognize the fallenness of man and the greatness of God. And so as life goes on, we recognize Jesus filled that gap and the cross of Christ becomes greater and greater and greater as life goes on, right? Um, and so all I have to say, uh, we want to be a church that makes disciples uh, more than followers. There's, there's a movie clip that should have played today. In the movie 300, you know all the movie 300 about the 300 Spartans? I haven't seen it because it's radar. Um, but I hear it's a great movie, and there's this scene uh, where Leonidas takes his measly 300 warriors, um, and he meets up with this other uh, army, and this other army has brought guys as well to help fight the battle. And the other army shows up, the leader looks looks scared. He looks at Leonidas, and Leonidas is like, you know, it's like, hey, good morning, or whatever they say, Spartan, or whatever. Now, and and the other leader of the army looks at him and he says, you, you brought so few. And he says, who, who are, you've only brought a handful of men, right? And and Leonidas, the leader of the Spartan army of the 300, he looks at this other army and points to one of the guys. He says, hey, what what, what do you do? And the guy looks at him and he says, oh, I'm a potter. And he's holding the sword. And he says, what about you? What are you? And he goes, oh, I'm a, I'm a stonemason. He goes, well, what about you? What are you? He's like, I'm a metal worker. And then he goes, uh, he goes, Spartans, what is your occupation? And they go, oh, oh. And it's all 300 of them. And then Leonidas looks at him and he says, you brought more people, but I brought more warriors. And I'm like, yes. Like, I want to stand before Jesus one day and, and say, we made disciples. Like even if, even if we just made one. Like we made who 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 cares if we have a thousand people in a room on a Sunday morning? Who cares? 
if their lives are still absolutely shattered when they walk out that door, if they haven't grown in their relationship with Jesus, who cares if we're just entertaining people for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, but when people leave, them, their marriages are still destroyed and that Jesus hasn't become Lord of their life anymore. Who cares? I'm a little bit passionate about this. I don't know if you can tell. Okay? You can see the name. We, we can, guys, we can get hundreds of people in this room. I promise we could. We could just preach real feel-good messages. We could never preach a gospel of repentance. We could avoid the topic of sin. We could avoid the topic of humility. We could avoid the topic of continuing to make Jesus king over your life. We could avoid the topic of uh, uh, turning and repenting from self-worship. We could do all those things and just make people come in and feel good and get the best music and the funniest guy and do his thing. And I could cut my hair different and wear a white belt. Get the millennials in here, right? Who cares? Anyway, so this is why uh, we're, we're talking about discipleship. So uh, today we're going to talk about worship. Uh, one of our parts of our definition of a disciple is that we're a growing worshiper, learner, and follower of Jesus. So honestly, what, is it, what does it look like to be a growing worshiper? Uh, is anyone else hot in here? No. Uh, who said no? No. Who's hot? Let's vote real quick. Who's hot? Who's cold? Who's cold? Uh, where is that? <laughs> it's, on your, it's on your chair. Come on, Dustin. I'm burning up. Okay. Uh, so today we're going to talk about worship. Uh, look at Isaiah uh, chapter 1. We'll just start there. Because I want to answer the question, what is God honoring worship? Because okay. there's plenty of worship. We don't have a worship problem in our, in our country. You know that, right? When people know how to worship. It's the object of our worship. Today at 5.30, people are going to be worshiping. You follow me? And, and it's not just praising. People will be worshiping. People will be giving of themselves. There's nothing wrong with football. I'm going to watch the game too. So don't, if, if, you, if you've got a football shirt on, it doesn't matter. But we, we know how to worship. We don't have a worship problem. We have an object of worship problem. And so, um, look at, we're answering the question, what is God honoring worship? Not just what is worship. And so starting in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, because anytime you define something, you also have to define what it is not. Okay? Um, at least good teachers do. This is what Jesus did as well. Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 10. So this is the prophet Isaiah. He's speaking um, to the northern country of Israel at this time. Um, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. He said, and remember what a prophet did was a prophet was just kind of a mouthpiece of God. Because the Lord would give him a message and he would go before people. And he would say, hey, this is what the Lord says. And oftentimes the prophets were not received very well. Okay? People didn't like the message, but it's not their job to please people. Verse 10, Isaiah says uh, to Israel, he says, Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Okay, so you may have not grown up in church. If, if I compare your household to Sodom and Gomorrah, that's not a good thing. Okay? Uh, and the reason this is interesting is because Sodom and Gomorrah had been destroyed more than a thousand years earlier. But its reputation was still uh, pretty uh, big. And so you can get the tone already. The, the Lord's a little upset. He says, hey, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Um, he's, <laughs> he, there's, a, there's a tone behind that. And then look 
verse 11. The multitudes of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Okay, so time out. What he's talking about, this is the Old Testament sacrificial system where they would come and they would bring a bull or a lamb or a goat and they would sacrifice it and that animal's blood would be poured out um, in place of theirs. And it was a way of saying this animal, this is what I deserve <clears throat> that this animal will take as a sacrifice take the place of what I deserve. Okay, And so what they were doing was this is why he says uh, I, I, and, and God says I have more than enough for offerings of rain and cat. I have listed I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you appear before me, who have who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Okay, so pause there. It's an interesting question. He says, Who has asked this of you? What's the answer to that? Who told them to do this? God told them to do this. Okay, so notice what's happening. They're doing exactly what he asked them to do. Okay? Notice, I'm going to emphasize, they are doing exactly what he asked them to do. Okay. Externally, on the outside, their actions were exactly what he asked. But he's very upset about this. He says, verse 13, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. Those are just special days that God set apart and said, I want you to reserve these times. Again, notice, he's listing off the things that he's told them to do. Uh, verse 14. Oh, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Verse 14. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul. What's your Bible say? Hates. He says, my soul hates these things. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Okay, so it goes on. You kind of get the idea that God's very upset. What is he upset at? Their worship. Look at this. God is upset at their worship of him. And so what their worship has become is it is not worshiping from a grateful heart. They are not worshiping in humility. How are they worshiping? Their worship is only external. Their worship is only doing the things that they feel like they're supposed to do. And as a result, God doesn't say, yeah, you know, that's pretty good. No, he says this. He says, I hate that. I can't stand that. You know, why? Because I, I want you to worship me from a joyful heart. I want you to worship me out of humility. I want you to worship uh, me um, because it's in your spirit and your outside external things is an outflow of what's going on inside of you. And so to our definition of what is God honoring worship, we can say, it's not this. It's not this. Okay? So let's get super practical. Really practical. I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anyone. If your worship of God consists of, I show up on a Sunday morning and I just read these words, if it's not affecting your heart at all, and I'm just reading the Bible, God is uh, very upset with that. <laughs> He looks at that and he says, this is not God honoring worship. You're just doing the extra. And he says, just don't even do it at this point. 
right? And so let's look at, uh, flip to the end of Isaiah, go to the end of Isaiah chapter 66. Because you may be asking, if that's not what he wants, what does the Lord want? What does he desire? Isaiah 66. So that's, this is the very end of Isaiah. So it works out pretty well. <clears throat> Isaiah 66, we'll just read, um, we're just going to read the end of verse 2. If you've got this in your Bible, I encourage you to underline this in your Bible, highlight it, whatever you want. And so he says, he's going to describe, this is the essence of true worship. Isaiah 66, verse 2, the second part, he says, this is the one I have seen, I have seen. He who is what? Humble and contrite in what? Spirit. And what? Trembles at my word. Okay. And so this is where I want to pause right here and make a distinction. There's a difference between praise and worship. The Bible speaks both of praise and of worship. Praise is simply speaking well of someone else. Praise is pretty lighthearted. Praise is, is very thanksgiving filled. Uh, praise is something, I, I can praise anyone. You know what I mean? Like people, like, I, when I look at someone and say, like, man, Patrick Mahomes, that dude can throw the football. I'm praising him. And there's nothing wrong with that. Why? Because I'm just saying, man, he's great at that. Like, I can praise my wife. I can praise my mailman, right? I, I can praise all, I can praise my dog, you know? Me, you did it, you killed them all. She's got one ball in four years. Okay, the four years numbers a little higher, but the one she did was like, great job, Mindy, good, keep it up. And we, we got some cats to try to help her, and they don't help at all, they just leave their dogs too. And so, well, I mean, you can praise anything, and the Bible speaks of praising the Lord, saying, hey, this is what God has done, He did this, He did that. But then the Bible speaks of worshiping. And when the Bible speaks of worshiping, it's, it's got a different tone to it. Worshiping has a tone of humility. It, um, in scripture, it even talks about when people worship, sometimes they would uh, they would bow down or you get on your knees or sometimes you raise your hands, which, by the way, all three of these, I cannot do this and be prideful. Are you with me on that? You know, if, if I'm walking up and I'm sitting here doing this, this is not a position of pride. What about this? Can I be prideful like this? No. No. Well, what about this one? Think about this. When uh, police are chasing people on... Um, What's the show? Cops. Cops, yeah. Nice. <laughs> the name of the show. When police are chasing people on cops, these people are running and running and running and running. And finally, when the criminal it gets to the point of surrender, what does he do? He says, okay, I completely give up. This is a posture of humility, right? You ever see people raise their hand in worship? It's just a posture of humility, right? And so when we talk about praise and worship, worship has uh, has this tone of humility, right? Um, worship has this idea of letting go of yourself. When we're truly worshiping the Lord, um, we make Him greater and we become less. That's what John the Baptist said. He must become greater. I must become less. Uh, this is why uh, people tend to worship the Lord really well um, in the mountains, Right? Uh, this is why when people go to the ocean, right? Uh, this is why even someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, when they go stand before the Grand Canyon, right? 
Because all of those things, what does that do? It speaks to your spirit, and you are humbled. Right? That nobody, nobody stands at the foot of a mountain with a group of people and they say, this is awesome. You know, and, and nobody says, you know what else is awesome? My participation trophy in the fifth grade for the science fair. <laughs> yep. Pretty amazing. But you don't do that. Why? Because when we stand before these giant things, and have, you guys have felt that, right? The mountains. Maybe you've even stared at the stars. And you recognize, wow, I am tiny. Haven't you felt that stirring in your heart? That is the Holy Spirit prompting you to worship. Why? Because you're at a place of humility at that moment. If, if we walk in here or if you're walking through your life prideful, you will not be worshiping. It can't happen. And so to worship God, it's two sides of the same coin. The other side of that coin means I stop worshiping myself. Okay? Uh, and so I have this question here. It's, the question is, and, and again, I'm just talking in the context. Let's just talk even when we come together as a church to worship. Does it matter what I do during worship? This is kind of a touchy subject. Does it matter what I do? Right? Russell, are you saying I'm required to raise my hands? Well, isn't that just what you just said God was mad about? It, 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 with Israel, well, I'm supposed to do this. Am I supposed to sing? What if I'm going to sit? And, and here's... Here's the point. Does it matter what I do when I worship? Yes, it does. Right? We need to be putting ourselves in a place of humility. Okay? And so here's the thing. Is it's going to look different for everybody. Right? Uh, the Bible says in James, it says, Humble yourselves before God. Think about that. It doesn't say God will humble you before Him. It says what? Humble yourselves and so this is why when we come together to worship, I think it's very important that each individual person, you do something that does make you a little uncomfortable. Right? It does make you feel a little humble. And so that's why some people raise their hands when they worship. That's why some people um, will, will do the basket carry right here. Just the basket. I'm just carrying it right in front of me, right? You know? And, and let's talk about this for a second. Have you ever thought about this? Why do we sing during worship? Because it's one of the scariest things we can do. Have you ever noticed that? Right? This is why one of the worst things I could do is I could point to someone in this room and say, hey, we stay up and sing and then name a song. Why? Because it's scary. And so, so even in our singing, for some of y'all, that's a big step of humility. Right? Now, now some of us have voices of angels, and we don't worry about that. You know, but when I say it's a blessing to you guys, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm just joking. No, but this is why even, think about that, why we stand and sing? Because that is, in a way, us humbling ourselves before the Lord. Because some of us, remember, we're never called to make a, a beautiful noise. We're called to make a joyful noise. Amen. Yes. And so even, and I want to encourage you, maybe a way to stop self-worshipping is to say, I'm just going to sing. And it's going to sound horrible. And, and I'm going to be humble. And where there is humility, then we can actually worship the Lord. Are you all with me on that? Okay. And this is why some people even just standing. Like, let's think about this. This is just weird. If you're not from the church culture, how strange is what we're doing here? Oh my gosh. Hey, do you want to come? And we stand in a room of people we kind of know, and we sing songs. Oh, do you face each other? No, we all face one direction. So everybody's <laughs> facing one direction. No, there's one guy that's facing us. 
So, so who are you singing to? We're singing to God, but everyone's looking this way, and he's, okay, well, why do you do that? I mean, how strange is this? This is an act of humility. It really is. So uh, that's the first thing. What's God honoring worship? Man, it's in humility um, and repentance. And so I encourage you, humble yourselves when we come before uh, the Lord. And I'll say it this way. Uh, there should be some sort of essence of uh, reference. And I'm not going to look at anyone because I think we've all been guilty. Hey, guys, when we're worshiping, screw it, I don't want to make you feel bad. Put down the coffee cup. When, when we're worshiping, how can I be humbly before the Lord when I'm standing? Right? This is not a position of humility. Right? Even some people, I would encourage you, think about this. If I'm trying to walk in humility, Look at my body real quick. Right? Is this humbly coming before the Lord? No, you are, you are setting yourself up just to be closed off. Okay? So, some of you are going to hear me wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to pass out flags and let's start flagging <laughs> under worship. No, but I'm saying just maybe there's a small step where you say, hey, I'm going to put it in my coffee cup. And I'm going to humble myself and try to hear. Hey, I'm actually going to sing loud enough for people to hear me because I my singing encourages others even when it's bad you know it, anyways or, or maybe it is you know I'm not going to be in this position of being closed off let me just open up oh, let me just open up my body a little bit Lord I need to hear from you so uh, the second thing I have here what is God honoring worship is that we need to worship God in spirit and in truth go to John chapter 4 flip to the right so it's just in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 4. This is when Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman. And I just want to point out a little bit of theology we can get from this. Uh, look in verse 21. So we said we want to worship the Lord in spirit and in Truth. Okay, there's uh, there's this time where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, and he says, "Hey, these people," and he's probably pointing at them. He says, "These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me." And so what he says is, "These people honor me with their lips, with they're honoring me in truth, but they're not worshiping me in spirit." And so look at John chapter four, verse twenty-one. It says, "Jesus declared." Believe me, woman. That's how I talk to Kenzie all the time. <laughs> Sorry. I just lost half the room. I wouldn't do that to him. He just loved the, yeah, very humble. Believe me, woman. Ah, Russell, focus. Sorry. I just lost half the room. John chapter 21. Uh, Jesus declared, believe me, woman. The time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. There's a ton of context there that's happening, and we'll, we'll cover it some other time. I want to look at this, verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Look at this. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship and look, spirit and truth. 
And so those two things, when he says we need to worship God in spirit, that's saying there should be something happening inside of us. Okay? There should be something stirring in my soul. And then he also says we need to make sure that we're worshiping in truth, meaning there should be something going on inside of my head. Okay? And so God honoring worship is both spirit and truth. That that hopefully the songs that we sing, they have great theology to them, right? Uh, like Before the Throne of God, one of my favorite songs. Before the Throne of God, I have a great and perfect, uh, high, a perfectly, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart because I know that while I'm heaven, he stands. No sin can bid me thus depart. Because the sin, listen to this. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Dude, that's the theology. That is worshiping God in truth. And here's the thing. When you are truly worshiping God in truth, it should stir your affections. Okay? And so, so should, when we worship, should there be a bit of a response? Should I feel something in me? Yeah, we should. But it should only be prompted by the truth of the gospel. Uh, the reason I say that is because I, I can stir an emotion in you pretty easily, right? Any musicians in here, if you know anything about music theory, I can literally play certain chords, certain chord structures, and music can manipulate your emotions. Y'all know that, right? Yeah. Have you ever watched a scary movie and put it on mute? And it's not scary at all? Have you ever watched that? If you watch a scary movie on mute, you don't get scared, you get angry because now you're watching it as a rational person. You're going, no one goes into a dark room. <laughs> like, you're not scared, you're mad. You're like, idiot, don't get in, the, get in the car. The keys drive away. You know, don't go back to the dog. Why is that? Because you just put it on mute. Right? And, and here's the whole point of what I'm saying is it's very possible for us to come together and stir our emotions to just attack our feelings, right? And I can make you feel sad. I can make you feel happy. And God says, we, we don't want to be about that. We want to worship in, yes, spirit, but also in truth, okay? I've got a quote here uh, from um, Jonathan Edwards. He says, uh, he's an old preacher. He's dead now. Um, he said, I should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as highly as possible as I can. Okay, so, so he says, here's, here's my job, is to raise your affections as highly as I can. And he says this, provided that they are affected with nothing but the truth. Okay, and so this is what it means to worship in spirit and truth is that when we are people that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we are people that, that preach that he is our perfect sacrifice, like we look in Isaiah chapter 1, that they would put a goat or a bull on, and it would take the place of them. When we preach the gospel that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice, and that we are now united in Christ, and that God looks at him and pardons me. When you hear that truth, if you are a believer, that should stir something inside of you. It should. And the Bible uh, teaches that it should then, as a result, come out of us. 
Uh, God has given all of us a way to do that. There's a little hole located just below your nose, okay? Uh, and that's the way that we praise and worship uh, the Lord. <clears throat> so, uh, let me put, point this out. Some, sometimes we're going to err on one side of We worship the Lord just in spirit. Where it's just this emotional experience, you know? And we could do that, by the way. We could lower the lights. We could put some smoke. Um, we could sing Oceans by Hillsong for 12 minutes. 12 minutes? Like, something like that. And it just kind of drums it into you. 12 minutes? That's like a Dave Matthews song. That's like a Dave concert. Like, a 12-minute song? And, and we could, we could just, you know, we, we call it worship, but we, we could just uh, make noise in spirit, and, and people could get really affected, but if there's no truth to it, it's just empty, right? If, if all we do is just speak to emotions, if all we do is just speak to our feelings, it's, it's empty. Uh, I remember reading one of those open letters, you know, and it was written from like a high school girl to one of her small group leaders. This was years ago. And the letter was entitled, Stop Telling Me How Pretty I Am. Um, and what it is, is it's this idea, this is very real, by the way, is that some of these young girls and older girls, again, this is a real struggle, is they struggle with body image issues, they struggle with self-esteem. And, and sometimes our response is, we just tell each other how pretty we are. Oh, you're, you're so beautiful. And, and the reality is, sometimes we need to stop just saying how pretty we are. Because here's the reality, guys. Don't forget this. If you're alive in Christ, you've died to yourself. Like, that's the same side of one coin. If I'm truly alive to Christ, the other side of that means I have died to Russell. And, and so if you come up to me and say, I'm not pretty, like Billy does this a lot, you know, he's like, I'm not pretty. You know, I would say, Billy, you're beautiful, but don't forget, man, you're alive in Christ. And, and that means you died to yourself, man. And so trust me, uh, trust me, it's much greater to be alive to Christ than it is to alive to self. In the same way, it's much better to worship God than to worship ourselves. In the same way that we can't truly worship God until we are humbling ourselves before Him. Right? I've worshipped myself long enough. And you guys know the answer to this. Do you, do you want to know who has let me down more than anyone else on earth? Me. Who has lied to Russell more than anyone else? Right? Who, who has had the best, guys, who's had the best intentions with me? I mean, who truly, truly believed, man, this is going to work out great. Russell, when we get this happen, then this will happen. Who has let me down with the best, honest intentions more than anyone else? Myself, not Tristan. Did you just point at yourself? <laughs> Russell has. And so I'm old enough to realize, man, self-worship, it is empty. It is, it is pointless. And, and if all we do is sit around and look at each other and say, oh, you're just so pretty, and just attack emotions, I promise you, our hearts will become harder and our skin will become softer and softer and softer, right? And so I've got this quote here too. Um, he, this says, uh, I don't know who this is from, I'm, I'm sorry, but it says, proper edification or, or even joy comes on the other side of confrontation. The kind of preaching or relationships, listen to this, the kind of preaching or relationships that refuse to confront others with their sin 
leads to a church, leads a church in the opposite direction of growth and true worship. And so this is what I'll say it this way. Soft preaching produces hard hearts. Right? If all we do is just affirm each other's feelings, if just massage each other's egos, we're going to have uh, really, uh, really hard hearts and really soft skin. Versus the opposite of true gospel preaching, which which this, this guy called it hard preaching. I don't call it hard preaching. I call it, remember, if we're preaching and you're dead to yourself, that means you're alive in Christ. But true gospel preaching, you know what it does to your heart? Softens your heart. And you want to know what it does to your skin? Toughens your skin. Right? And this is, oh, our world, we, oh man, we are raising a generation of people with the hardest hearts I've ever seen and the softest skin. And the church must be people that, guys, please hear me say this. Don't let your heart become callous. It's pretty easy. I can feel my heart in certain areas. I can feel my heart, whereas I used to feel compassion. I can feel my heart start to start to think, why do they act that way? Why don't they see it to be good? And, and I can feel my skin start to become thickened. So guys, as the church, pray for tough hearts and soft skin. And... Uh, this is why we want to be worshiping the Lord. We said a disciple is a growing worshiper, learner, and follower of Jesus Christ. And so we want to grow in our worship. Because the more I worship the Lord, the less I am. And that's a good combination, right? Uh, that he must become greater. That he must increase. I must decrease. And that's where joy is. And then as a result, as my life goes on, as he increases and I decrease, the cross of Christ that fills that gap grows and grows and grows. And this is why my affections for Jesus hopefully will keep growing for the next you know, 30, 40, 60 years. 60 years or maybe 30, 96? I don't want to live that long. Sorry. Maybe 40 years. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to live that long. Sorry. Sorry. Is that weird? Uh, so let's, uh, uh, I'm just going to pray for us. And I want to pray with us. And again, gosh, don't hear me wrong. This is not me praying. Hey, you need to raise your hands and worship. Hey, you need to know this is, but we do need this. I want you to ask the Lord to speak to you. How would I humble myself for worship? How would I do something that, that it really is a little bit less of me? How can I let go of myself? How can I stop worshiping, fill in the blank, whatever your name is? And how can I truly turn to the Lord? Because that's where the greatest joy will come from. I promise you, no one's going to let you down more than you. I think most of us are old enough to know that. Some of us not yet. I promise you, self-worship, it will lead to empty, joyless, frustrated, hardened hearts. I promise you. Uh, any of my older saints in here can attribute to that? Self-worship? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't work. Uh, let me pray. Please pray with me. And then we're going to worship. We don't worship in the end uh, today. So I'll pray. You guys can on up here quietly. Okay, please pray with me. Father, uh, thank you. That you are that you are the Lord of spirit and truth. God, that you are God of our emotions. You are. You're bigger than our feelings. And so I pray that we would be people of soft hearts, that we would um, we would have compassion on others, and that we would feel empathy, and that we would take on one another's burdens. But I also pray that we'd be people of truth, that, that there's a point, and maybe we need to say this to ourselves. Maybe you need to just say this to yourself as a reminder of, hey, you've died to yourself. You're alive in Christ and you've died to your 
self. And so, uh, Father, please show us how to believe that. Give us the faith to believe that. Any faith we have comes from you. And so this is our prayer, Lord. Uh, we love you. Show us how to worship you. Show us how to make more of you. Show us how to let go of ourselves so that we can experience uh, satisfaction and the greatest joy in you. This is our prayer. Amen.